ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years, with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vein and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for coming on ATV Talk Inspired. How are you, sir? I'm well on yourself. I'm doing great. Hey, everybody, I got Daryl Rath here. And he... We all know about his accomplishments in the ATV world, but there's something that not many people know. Daryl Rath has been giving his himself to society. Uh, he's a fireman, and he's been doing this the whole time he's been racing and working to build the ATV industry and to build his business. So we're going to talk a little bit today, well, pretty much all about it today, uh, about how he got into the fire department and what it's like uh, being selfless and serving your community. Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, obviously when you, is this something different? I guess I thought I'd take an opportunity to maybe pay it, pay it back, pay it forward, however you want to look at it. And uh, it's something that, I started as a firefighter at a very old age. I didn't even know if they'd give me a shot. And I went down and met with the chief that day and he thought I was being a retard that I actually walked in there and wanted to, uh, to do it. He goes, cause I asked him, I said, you guys hiring? And he goes, well, yeah. He said, you got somebody in mind? And I said, I said, yeah, me. And it was one of those things. And said, and, uh, you know, he just said, are you serious? And I said, I'm dead serious. And he goes, well, we're hiring and, you know, come back and, in May, we'll do in tryouts and meetings and all that stuff. And I said, "When well, so it gets close, give me a give me a call." And he did, and I went down and went from there. So, and and how many years ago was that? This June, I'll be on the department ten years. Wow. So I started on you know I got hired when I was forty four years old to be a firefighter. That is pretty old to start to uh, become a fireman. Are you like normal fighting house fires, things like that? Yeah. So, um, a little back history, you know, I come from a small town. Um, I consider it 
pretty small town. We're only 15,000, maybe 16,000 now. Um, we have one, one station and we have right now about 30, anywhere from 30 to 35 firefighters on the roster on our department. So we both, we do both fire and medical. So we do both. So we average right around 500 calls a year. So for our area, we're probably one of the biggest fire departments in the area, you know, besides the Metro or, you know, St. Cloud, which is an hour, anything, basically anything that would be close to us to be at least an hour away as far as how big we are. And we we cover a huge area, you know, you know, so to be honest with you, some of our responses, you know, like when I leave to go to a call from home, if I'm on call as an officer, um, I could be as much as 15 miles away to, to where I need to be. So it's, it's a challenge. It's very different than, you know, most, you know, like, obviously I got some friends that are firefighters and visit them in the West coast. One of them's in LA. They're maybe going two miles. You know, we got a lot, we got a lot bigger surface area to cover. So and it probably takes you less time to get there than it takes them to get there. <laughs> probably. I mean, with the traffic and stuff out there, yeah, it could very well be, but, uh, so that's how I got started in it. I mean, I just, uh, I had some friends that did it. There were, you know, on the department, probably five, maybe even longer than that. One, one of my buddies was already on for my 10, 12 years. It's just something, I guess I, you know, I always thought it was neat. You know, I had a lot of respect for what they were doing and you know what? we were sitting around uh, on vacation talking. They were two of the friends of mine were firefighters. And it's like, you know what? And I get back and I go down and meet with the chief. And I did. And we took it from there. That's so, so awesome. Oh, what's your, you said officer, are you, have you risen in rank? Yeah. So obviously when you get hired as a, as a firefighter in our town, it's, you know, you, you're a firefighter at first, um, I mean, we're considered rookies until you get through school. You have to graduate through school in our school and in, in our, our district, our fire district is you have to have fire one, fire two, and you have to have a uh, first responder training. So you have the, to be honest with you, the first year of being on the department, you're considered a rookie and you basically, you can go along to certain calls. Um, we can't go to any medicals but we can go to, you know, some of the calls, but you, you do, you do nothing interior. You do not. Yeah. I asked him, I was like, would you guys want to go do anything? I mean, you got some time if you guys want to go do something else. And he's like, I got Tucker's Tucker's talking. Hold on a second. Daryl lost connection. Good. Or is it not? No, I can't hear Daryl. It connected to my. It connected to my headphones. Okay, can you hear us now? You guys, Lenny? I got you. Sorry, Sorry about, about that. that. No oh, problem. My laptop, so, back in my headphones. <laughs> no problem. It's a great place to plug a commercial right there. Um, so if you go back just a little bit, explaining that, you know, you can't, uh, I got to where you, you can't go on medical when you're a rookie. Yeah, so 
once you're hired on a department, you are considered a rookie until you're finished with all the, uh, you have to be a fire one, fire two certification, um, and you have to be a first responder certified. So roughly about 160 to 200 hours worth of school. Yeah, actually that we had to go through. And when I went through it, we had to leave for school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I had Monday night training, Tuesday night and Thursday night, I had to leave town at four o'clock. I'm an hour from the Metro. So we had to drive about 75 miles each way to where we went to school for fire one and fire two. Um, so it was a hell of a commitment. I didn't get home until midnight on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights for, I think we went to school from, you know, we started right early mid January. And I think I, I finally finished school. I know I was, I was leaving to go to North Carolina for the national. So I had to be end of April. So I was juggling. I, mean, I left school at Thursday and Thursday night at midnight. And I flew out Friday morning at six o'clock to race Elizabeth city. So I was spreading myself super thin, you know, with the business in the fire department, you know, responsibilities and stuff. I mean, I seriously do remember going ice racing. And when we got back to the hotel at night, I'd study because I had, I took it very seriously. I mean, because it was honestly it could cost me my life or someone else's life, if I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And uh, I loved it. I was, I went to school with a bunch of young kids. I was the oldest guy in class by probably 15, 20 years. But it was cool because everybody treated me really good and I just had a blast with it. So loved it. And the medical portion, how qualified are you or how schooled are you in the medical side? So, so I'm, I'm considered a first responder. So basic life support. Um, you know, what, what we primarily use for, I don't, I can't in a minute, in a spray, I can't give anybody any medicine. But obviously, we we have to work in trauma center in trauma situations. I mean, you know, obviously, car accidents. You know, we get ourselves into uh, you know possible drownings. We get into to, uh, we're rural out here, so we get into you know farm accidents. You know, people get stuck in machinery. People get uh, entrapments. Um, you know, like trenches. You know, they're working underground doing you know working in in that type of situation collapses. Uh, you know, confined space stuff. We have to be trained to work in the confined space areas and all that stuff. I mean, so it's, there's some stuff there that really challenges a lot of people. There's some people that can't get past working in confined spaces because of claustrophobic reasons or whatever. And uh, believe me, there's a few times you had to, I had to just uh, stop, take some breaths. Can't see anything. It's pitch dark. I mean, especially when we're doing some of the search and rescues training that we're doing, you know, looking for dummies and, and I mean, it's absolutely pitch black at what we're training in and you're going on, you're going on senses and uh, I'm glad, glad I got the opportunities that they gave me to go to the, to the Metro for the schooling. Cause I had two instructors that was, one was a retired firefighter that had 28 years on the department. And the other one was a young, um, full of piss and vinegar. I think he was only on the apartment three years in the metro area. One of the, you know, he was bouncing around trying to get all the training and in, in school, you know, he had the schooling, but he's trying to, you know, bounce around and get a full-time gig in the departments down there. And they were awesome. I, we had a great balance because we had the, you know, the young 
because he just went through school for you know four years ago and we had the guy that had 28 years of experience and you know i consider myself very fortunate to be part of that class that's awesome so explain a little bit more about the training that you did in closed in spaces so they would put you in like a tunnel or or a, a dark room and you would have to find something well see what there's different levels there. I'm glad you asked, Lane, because I'd, I'd love to explain it to you because they have, like I said, we trained at a, a facility. It was a college and they had it set up to train firefighters. I mean, whether it was, you know, me uh, considered a volunteer paid on call firefighter, because that's what I'm paid because we only get paid when we're working. And that's if we get a call or a train, I get paid. And then we have a retirement after 15 years and, and such like that. So that really isn't even the, the wage is pretty embarrassing. I think, I think when I first got on the department, I think I got paid $12 an hour. So it's, it's, it's not about the money. Um, it's about being there. But uh, so being that being said is the training site has a, they had a seven story tower. And so we would train for apartment fires, you know, high rise fires, because again, they're training people that work, full-time down in the metro, you know, in populations of 200,000 people, you know, big metro areas. They, they're, I was doing the same thing that those guys did for schooling. Um, so outside of that, they have what they call burn containers, um, which are basically like you see that come across on the ships, you know, they convert them things into burn containers. Um, and we, we, they, we can set live fires in them. And pallet fires, they use straw and pallets inside of them. You make entry into them. And, you know, you can see that obviously they're, they're training you to, to be comfortable in a situation that's not a good place to be. You know, we're not meant to be in fire. Um, but they try to get you to where you're, where you're comfortable, that you make the right choices, you know, see how the fire reacts, how the fire changes, how fast the fire changes conditions inside of these buildings you know we're in there you know the temperature on the floor would be maybe you know 100 150 degrees you raise your hand up you know just from laying on the floor crawling on the floor you could raise your hand up and that temperature would change as much as two three hundred degrees and two or three feet so you know at the ceiling it'd be over a thousand so just because you're inside of it basically a tin can is what you're inside of um but we did a lot of hands-on training. I mean, we would we would have to redo two chapters basically every day and we'd review that, go over your quizzes. And as soon as that stuff was done, we'd be in our gear. When they had a truck there that we actually trained with, it was an older retired fire truck that we trained with. We would have gone out there and we'd actually flow water, we'd pump water, we'd make advances inside these buildings, inside the tower. I mean, we were working our asses off. I mean, there was it was it was physically demanding i mean it was and mentally obviously and then they have uh to the little more light when the trip that what else we did as far as entrapment stuff is they have a semi so it's a 53 foot long semi trailer and it's one of the low profile ones with a sunk you know with a low floor like a kentucky like a furniture mover trailer yep. and they convert they convert that into they it's a confidence trailer is what they call it and it's 100% confined space and they can change inside of that. They have um, different doors and trap doors that you can move 
So you can't memorize the thing. And it's absolutely, when I say black inside of it, it's pitch black. You see nothing. And you have to be able to get through that. They got anything inside of there, like we call them culverts. You guys obviously have them in California, but they use them for farming here. And they may be only 18 inches in diameter that we actually, there's some of the stuff that we had to take our packs off. And we have to be on air when we're doing this. So you have to be able to take your pack off, still be on air, push your tank through the tube first, and then have your partner, because you always turn a fire together. So you always have a partner and then push your partner has to push you through the tube until you can get to the other side, pull yourself through, put your tank back on. It's, there's a lot of challenges and, you know, and this is all, there's no room really inside that trailer because the max, like the, the aisles or alleys, whatever I want to call it, were probably maybe two feet wide and maybe at the most three feet tall. And, uh, You'd be you 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 get to a section where it's like you it's dead ended so you're at the end of the trailer, but you you have to get down a floor or have to go up a floor to get out of there, so you have to be feeling all the time, and it could be something as crazy as you have to be able to pull up a trap door, hold it up against the wall, and get through there. You have to just shimmy right just perfect to get your tank through there, but the problem is it's it's you start to get stuck. You know, your tank gets hung up on things, your helmet, you're wearing a helmet, you're wearing all this stuff because you're the gear we wear is probably close to 50 pounds by the time you got everything on that. Well, you know, that when you're in these situations, so it's, you really got to take a breath sometimes and slow it down. And this, this confinement trailer, they, they got a chart inside the door. I'll never forget. I walked in there and there was a, there was, I can't remember how they had a label, but there was people that tapped out, that said, you know what, I can't do it. So they turn the lights on, they come and get you out of there or get stuck to give up because they can hear you. There's audio and that they monitor you. They got infrared cameras to watch you. Um, but uh, there's there's definitely a percentage of people that don't make it through that trailer. I mean, we just had that trailer at our station here because they bring it out every, we do it, try to do it every two years in our department to train in there. So everybody in our department tries to maintain that or at least know where they're at. So they make good choices to make a, you know, we don't put them people. So if someone has trouble in that trailer and our department, we will not put them in a situation like that because it's going to cause a problem. I mean, if they can't do it in a training on a low stress situation where we don't have someone hurt or something like that, that we're trying to rescue or whatever it is, we're not going to put them in that situation. So hope to God that we have two guys in the truck or enough guys in the truck that are comfortable with being in that world. But uh, it's, it's not for everybody. It's uh, gets pretty pretty dicey sometimes. So uh, I'd love to try it, but I don't. I don't think I'd like it at all. And it's you know, and I'd be very honest with you, Lenny. They say that the older you get, the more claustrophobic and the more anxiety you get. And I, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, because I did this ten years ago, and that shit didn't bother me at all. I did doing that stuff, and it, and I it didn't bother me. I, I I ate it up. And, you know, this last summer, that trailer was a new trailer, but, you know, same people brought a trailer to us and I made it through it fine. But, you know, the younger guys, I don't think have to deal with that as much. Maybe they're a little more flexible. I don't know, but it, you know, I'm not a very big guy. I mean, the bigger guys really struggle inside those trailers, Um, but it's the way it works. And they also, in them trailers, the, 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 
like the, the new one they brought out to this time, they have a section that goes through that has wires in it. So simulating, you know, say if you had a, uh, it was more of a commercial building where you had a bunch of wires running through the ceilings, ceilings burn, wires come down and they get hooked on everything. So when you come through there, you have to get to that. They got the wires hanging through this. Imagine an alleyway in a semi, it's got three layers in it, two feet wide, roughly two feet tall and you're coming through and there's wires hanging all over from side to side and you got an air tank hanging on the backside well obviously if you run through there try to crawl through in your belly or your hands and knees that tank's going to hook on everything so you got to do is roll yourself in the side and stick that air tank in the corner of the building or the of the of the structure and let that tank drag into the corner of the wall and then you push your helmet through, try to push, and then you, you, when you try to kind of use the word swim, you try to keep your arms so you don't ever get hooked in it yourself because it gets caught on your arms, gets caught in your helmet. It's, 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 it's a really shitty deal. And it's dark. It, it's pitch black. You can't see nothing. The only thing you can see is our tanks, our air tanks that we're on have like a, uh, they glow. Okay, so there's a little there's a little light on them that just a very little light, like a pin light. And then the tanks themselves have like a, a strip on the back that's that glows, you know, it's reflective that 3M material. So like at night, light hits it, they they, you know, it's like a scotch light, but that stuff actually will have a little bit of memory to it from being outside in the light. You can see a little bit of that on your partner. That's it. <laughs> so but, Let me uh, ask you, do, do you think that in your confined space training that any of your outside racing experience with stressful situations and, and <clears throat> just dealing with, with diff, different adversity helped you? Absolutely. I mean, I think I know that makes a big difference. I mean, obviously racing for championships and stuff like that makes a big difference i'm 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 100 convinced of that i mean that the mindset of that you failure is not an option is a huge thing and that you you have to stay focused on on what you're going after and i think if you can stay focused on any of that whether it's racing or this or whatever and 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 and, and not ever even think of failure as an option you get you get through anything and I think that's why I, I enjoy the shit out of it. I mean, there's and never, and there's no, I mean, I've been on the department for 10 years, which isn't, I know someone's listening to this podcast. It's like, well, he's, he doesn't even know anything. He's only been on the department 10 years, but my call rate, random business racing of 500 calls a year to say that on an average in, a, in this department, I run about 70% of call runs, which Anybody listening to this and it's like, well, he's missing 30% of the calls. Well, yeah, I, I do miss calls, but 70% is extremely high number from the number of calls made per year. That's a lot. You know, I mean, I've been as high as 76. So, I mean, I think last, not last year, but the year before I was, I was the top guy for runs for the whole department. Is that because you call in and say, I'm on my way? No, or is it because you're just picked? I, I am a date. So 
the deal is I, you know, I work, my shop is only about a mile from the station. So I can be to the station really, really quick on my daytime calls. And I'm at the shop a lot. So I'm at the shop from six in the morning. until you know, six, seven o'clock at night. Um, so I can get there. I can catch first truck. I can make all the calls. I obviously am my, my own boss. So I go. Um, so, you know, we, you know, to get a truck out the door is a minimum of four guys to get it out the door. Minimum. Some of our trucks take six, some trucks take only four. Um, so we have to have four guys there to roll a truck. And during the daytime, you know, luckily we have guys like myself that are self-employed. We have some guys that work for the city, some work for the utilities department, and they can come to, you know, the, the city allows that. Um, and that's a lot of our guys are lucky enough. Our daytime response is good. Um, but, you know, at night, like I think last time I did a, a call, one of these with you, uh, I was on call as a, as a lieutenant. I'm an officer. So we have to cover every six week I'm on call for 24-7 for a week. And I cannot leave the fire district. I have to have my pager. I have to have my radio with me. And I have to have the command rig with me all the time. So no matter what I'm doing, where I'm at, I have to be in the fire district and I have to be dressed and be a professional, whether it's a medical or if I run it, if I have to run a scene, you know, if we have a fire, I have to, I have to make decisions on the way there going. I'm not going to say how fast I'm going because we're not supposed to break, break the speed limit, but so we have a call comes in and, uh, Let's just say we have a structured fire. It's a confirmed structured fire. And I'm in route. I have a you know three to four mile run to get there. In between there, I gotta I gotta get with my dispatcher. I gotta find out as much information. Is everybody out of the house? Do we have someone in the house yet? You know, if it's confirmed that everybody's out of the house, that takes a lot of heat off of me and everybody on the department right away. But let's just say we have we got a house fire, everybody's out, but obviously we're gonna try to do everything we can to save what's left of this house. But, you know, we got all kinds of different things. You have to take weather into consideration. We got wind, weather, how cold, how hot, um, location. You know, if it's in town, we have water. If it's out in the country, which a lot of our residents are, we have to get water there. And so we have to truck it there. And we, what we call tankers. So we're transporting 3000 gallons of water per truck into this house. Uh, or structure, shed, fire, whatever it can be. Um, so it's a challenge. So we have to make us as officers, we have to make those choices right away. You know, we have to notify utilities to come and shut off gas and, and electric. We have to notify a lineup, which is our uh, ambulance service. You know, so they're there to help us if we get someone injured. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot going on. Plus you're going to some place you maybe have never, ever been to. You don't know the address. Um, you, you know, the address cause it tells us where we have to go, but where the heck is it? You know, all this stuff is going on in seconds. We have to figure all that stuff out and we have to communicate with every one of our trucks that go in route and tell them what we expect when they get there, because I'm getting information that they don't always get from dispatch or from law enforcement. So it's a, it's a pretty stressful situation. And then when you, we get there. You know, if I beat the trucks there, you know, say if I'm at home, everything on the north side of Hutch, I live on the north side of my, my hometown here. 
if it's on the north side, I'll beat them there every time. But if it's on the south side, they're going to beat me there. So we are trained in our station, be the guy in the right front seat, can be the officer until I get there. So he has to make some a lot of decisions that I can't make because I'm not there yet. And once I get there, I relieve him and then we can go to work again. But it's, you know, we've had some, I've had some big, pretty big house fires and uh, it, it's, it's tough because you've got to make choices real quick and you got to put yourself luckily you know you gotta, you got to think about you know risk versus reward you know what are we going after what are we what are we trying to save here you know obviously life comes first but uh you know it's like do we make entry in some of these buildings we don't know how long they've been on fire and with new modern construction right now these houses don't last very long i mean because glue and stuff like that this this they just can't take the heat you know all the you know we don't have normal two by 12 you know floors no more it's 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 pressed together shit and it yep. gets hot and it's it's junk the floors turn spongy in in minutes and we don't if you don't know where the fire is and people's like well what do you mean you don't know where the fire is i mean i used to think the same thing until i went to school when we make entry into these houses most of the time we cannot hardly see our hand in front of our face whether it can be bright, it can be bright and sunny out that day, and it can be in midnight. It doesn't matter. We can't see anything in the house. We literally can't see nothing in the house. Um, so there's just a lot of challenges, and uh, you know, it's uh, you got how many ever guys you get there because we have to. We call what we call mutual aid, Lenny. So our department only has thirty guys in the best case scenario. But we, if everybody showed up, nobody was gone on a town or at work when they couldn't leave or whatever best case scenario i could get 30 guys there there's times where extreme weather conditions and stuff 30 guys ain't enough or a big fire like a you know industrial deal where I, I don't have enough guys so we have to call it mutual aid so i call mutual aid from different surrounding smaller towns and here and stuff and they'll come us to help with especially rural fires because we just can't get enough water at first there's there's fires where we put 80 to 120,000 gallons of water on the fire to get the fire out. You know, and we at 3,000 gallons a truck, that's a lot of trucks. Yeah. So put that all in perspective. I mean, we've had the challenges like the summer we had a we had a fire and temperature index that day. It was a house fire. Um, a temperature index day on the way out there was 112 degrees. I know you guys say well, that's it's not that big a deal, but you're standing there in shorts and flip-flops. We're, we're in full gear, weighing 50 pounds more, and the gear don't breathe. Um, that particular fire, there was three departments there that day with us. We were, it was in our district, um, but we had mutual aid for water supply. And the, the uh, department, six people got hauled away that day, two in our department alone. And the kid, they were young. 26 years old and 28 year old people got hauled away from heat exhaustion. I tell you what, it's, it's, it's downright scary. I mean, when, and it's, when we have the complete opposite here. We'll have 20, 22, 28 blow weather. And, and anytime you're working with water and those kind of temperatures is all we do is make ice. Everything about it gets crazy dangerous. I mean, there's, you come out of those fires to change your air packs take a, you know, just to get relieved, 
to so we can get you know get more air back on our and get back in there. By the time we go back in, you know, I've I've seriously sat like kneeled down so they get my air tank off me. I couldn't hardly get back up because my clothes were wet when I came out from the water inside the fire that my gear froze. In in I have pictures of me where I'm basically white from water and ice. I mean, me and my partner just fought a fire this last winter. We it was 20, 21 below that morning, actual air temperature. And we we were so full of ice that they could hardly get our tanks off to get different tanks on us in between. But uh, let me ask you a question. Does when you're when the fire's burning and it's that cold, does that help the slow down the fire? It don't. It doesn't. Because the, the house works inside of it all on its own. It creates its own atmosphere. Right. So we, you know, inside the house is, is completely different than outside. I mean, just, we have to leave. I mean, we, that particular fire, I mean, we had to call, you know, I was not the officer of that call. It wasn't my call. Um, I was actually just a firefighter that day, you know, because if I'm not on call, I'm just a firefighter like everybody else. I go inside there and I do the same work as, as the guy that's only got a year or the guy got 20 years. Just fight, we're just, we're one and the same. If we got one boss, that's it. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, but that particular fire, I mean, he had to get, you know, like we had to get township salting crew, like the trucks with the salt, the haul onto the driveway because we have to back these water trucks. It was at it by a lake. We had to back these trucks in and out of this, you know, these people's property. It was all glare ice because we're, we're moving 30, 40,000 gallons of water. And it's running down the driveway and it's freezing and it's, you know, trucks are freezing up and everything gets to be a big mess in a big hurry. So, so would you rather work in the cold or the hot? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Either one of them is a pain. You know, the hot's really bad. You know, the hot's, you got to be really, really careful because it's, uh, you go through a lot of people in a big hurry. I think the recovery time for the heat's probably worse, you know, because you just, we pump so much. Well, for example, that fire we had this last summer. On the way out there, we had water in our cab. It was a call that was on the edge of our district. So it probably took us almost eight to ten minutes to get to this house. On you know, on you know, in route. Um we drank water on the way out. Obviously, it's too late, you know what I mean? Um, I drank from the time I got in that truck to the time we got back to town, I drank 14. 16 ounce bottles of water. I never ever went to the bathroom. Just for that in perspective, that's a lot of water. Oh, that is, you were very, very close to having a serious problem. Well, I mean, that's a stit. And that's, there's guys that just could, didn't have enough water in their system to start out with. You know, if you're most, most Americans, most humans are dehydrated. I mean, they don't have enough water in their system. And when something like that comes, you just get your butt kicked in a big hurry. So I totally, I totally agree. That's just, that's just incredible. So let's put it in perspective. Now that you've seen some of the things that you've seen being a first responder and a, and a fireman, where does ATV racing uh, rate as far as how stressful it is for some people? 
I think I think the big thing, Lenny, is I, I deal with uh, the expression in medical situa- situations, the car accidents, the rescue calls, um, is the death. Um, I see a lot of it. I see, uh, you know, I see. I'll be in, I'll be in a, a living room of a house, and uh, on the other side of the walls, the kitchen, and we're doing CPR on Dad. And the wife is in the other side of the kitchen. And I, I, there's a situation I can remember. And it was probably five years into my career. And I remember this lady saying, well, I hope, I hope everything gets good. We get this stuff going here because we have to leave to go to Sioux Falls, which is a community that's three hours from us. We got to go there. We have a go see our family or like when their daughters or sons lived there. And this lady had, whether it's denial or what it is, a lot of these people, you know, she had plans that she she planned on sticking to, and and we're working on her husband. We're doing CPR, and once we start CPR, we're not we don't stop until the doctor tells us as far as you know it's that we can stop. So which is usually at least twenty minutes. You know, you know, God helping us now that there's you know devices called Lucas devices, a device that does CPR for us. But a lot of times we beat a line of there which is our ambulance service. So, I mean, we are doing CPR until we can get that device on them until they, when they get there. But uh, yeah, it's the death side of it is, you know, that you see the families, this, this, the denial like that lady was, I mean, she didn't have a clue that her husband was dead and he wasn't going to be going anywhere with her ever again. You know, that when we get back in the trucks and we drive back to town, usually those calls, there isn't a word said in the truck, nothing said, we don't talk. And there's, and that's, that's, that's a really tough part of our job. Um, and is that, that's your hometown. So yeah, these are people that you may know. I've been on those calls. Um, I've been to calls where, uh, friends of mine and I graduated high school with already that, um, you know, they had a heart attack. They're laying on the floor and we're doing CPR on them. And I, and I can remember going to school with that guy. You know, and uh, we've saved some. I got some. I got some awards. You know, they call them lifesaver awards. I got a few certificates that we've saved people. We got them back. Um, we saved some people and got them back. For the the unfortunately, the families had to make a decision because they were out too long before the CPR started, and basically, the you know the brain was dead, and you know the machine could keep them alive, like what we we're doing, but they had to make you know families have to make decisions and. I had good friends of mine that they had to make that decision with their mom. You know, we, we saved them to that point, but we couldn't save the damage that was done because no one started CPR. Nobody was there to start CPR when it happened. Um, so it's, it's very, very tough. I mean, I've walked out of these houses and then you see people that you've known for 20, 30 years and they're standing in the living room, the whole family and you're there carry their dad or their mom or their grandma or their grandpa out and they're never coming home again so that's that's probably the toughest part i think of our job is that it, i have to i have to give that to you because i just uh you know my mom just passed this last may and uh <sighs> I know it was my mom, but still, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't wish that upon 
anybody to have to come in and and be that person. So if one of my friends had to come in and be the the, the person to take care of it, my my wife is a um, hospice nurse or not nurse, but a hospice caregiver, yep. and uh, I, she, she, it's just amazing the strength that they have to do this and uh, for you to do that and, and your guys and your team uh, that that's incredible. Yeah, it, puts, it puts ATV racing in perspective for me when I think like this, Hey, even if we're, even if we're in the pro class, none of us are making any money. Let's, let, let's, let, let's have fun with it and, and uh, be there at the end to, to shake hands. Yeah. It's uh so, I mean, there's, and there's, there's some really good stuff too. I mean, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but at the end of the story, it's, uh, I mean, my neighbor lives just down the road from me here. We had a call to his house two years ago, July, and the address came in on my, cause I have a, I wear a pager, um, old school stuff, but, uh, so I have a pager and it, you know, the tone went off. I was at work. And I recognized the address right away. It was just down the road from my house. Um, we got there. Luckily, his wife started CPR on him. And uh, a sheriff was there. A deputy was there. And we got there. And then we were the next ones there. And we started. We continued CPR because anybody that's done CPR going to find, find out in a big hurry that you can't do CPR very long, especially by yourself. Um, it's extremely exhausting to do good CPR and we, we saved him. The dude walks past my house and walks with him and his wife. They walk by. Um, I store my race trailer inside of his shop during the winter months of his farm site over there. And uh, you know what? He had a little get together this last summer at his house. It was as a year anniversary of when he had the heart attack and uh, he called it his new birthday. And a very, very God-fearing man, him and his wife are probably the closest two things that I know of saints in my life because they are very religious and um, good people. And, uh, you know, maybe someone had a different plan for him that day that, that uh, it wasn't his time to go. And and we were all, all the thing. everything clicked that day. The deputy was close. He was at a lake that was only a mile and a half away. And, you know, this, I was close to the station. Everybody was close. And we had... The guys that were on in the truck were all seasoned, you know, people, and we all worked together multiple times in same situations like this, and everything just clicked. Um, so he uh, he's one of the success stories when he can come to the, our station and and sit down and buy us dinner or and and hang out with us for a half hour and just everybody in the station can see that that hey, you know what we don't win them all, but we do win some, and uh, you know what. We give it a hundred percent every time that we we step on those trucks for anybody. I think that's that's really all we can go home with sometimes. I think that's what makes it so special, Daryl, is the fact that you're doing what not everyone can do. It and then to be honest, Linda, the medical side of it is probably my least favorite part of it because there's so many levels of the medical that I mean we do training. There's a certain amount of hours we have to do every every year that's required of us. And then when they come and work with us, because I work, my shop is right next to a line of ambulance. So that when they, I see them guys leaving all the time. And there's a lot of times where I, I'll see those guys leave. And it's like, 
you know, am I going to get a call? Are they going to need us to, you know, and we don't get called to all of them, but we get called to a lot of them. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of times I'll run ahead of the ambulances. If I get, cause we get toned at the same time, I'll be hauling butt down the road, heading to the fire station and they'll be following me in the town as I go to the station and we're going to the same place. So, um, but you know, there's so much to be learned from those guys. There's those, those guys are amazing people because they work in situations. I mean, that I, I see them guys, some of that stuff, but the stuff they can do. And it's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, if I had more time, I'd like to learn more about it, but there's so many levels to it. It's just, I, I, you got to draw the line in the sand, how much you can do and what you can do. So. If you'd have known 30 years ago about this, would Daryl Rath's life be different? I don't know about that. I mean, it's something that if, if I were to be a, say, let's just say I was only want to be a full-time firefighter, you know, and I would have to work at least an hour from home. Cause that's the closest that would be, you know, considered where I could go work full time. Um, would I mind, would I, wouldn't I, would I like to do that? I think I could like, yeah, I think I'd like that. I think that would be, you know, those guys make pretty good money. Those guys uh, get quite a few days off cause they do 24 hour shifts. That's how they do it. A lot of the departments do it around here. They'll do 24 hours out, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 48 off. And so on. And they get some neat schedules, but uh you have a lot more time away from home, but you are on when you're at that station. If it's a busy night, you don't get any sleep. You sleep when you can. So it's, it's definitely a lot of load on people. I mean, I think put this in perspective and say, we get a call, like say I go to bed tonight at 10 o'clock and we get a call at one o'clock in the morning. So you can be in a dead sleep and you wake up, you, you don't, brush your teeth you don't do nothing you you pull on your clothes and during the summer it's not a big deal but during the winter we could seriously be going outside in 20 below zero weather so you're going to go from a nice 70 degree house to 20 below zero weather driving for me i got four miles to the station if i'm home and everybody's foggy when they first get up now think about it, you got to get rid of all that fogginess instantly and you got to be planning what you're going to do especially when you're an officer when you, that's when you got to make all the decisions right away. So you have to acknowledge that, you know, what's going on and you got to make a plan of what you want done when you get there, try to figure out what are we working with? What do we got? when we get there because done it for 10 years. I've never seen anything really, there's no cookie cutters. Nothing's ever the same. So that's what makes it so interesting because nothing's ever the same. Um, Tucker. Yeah. Can you see, can you hear me yet, Lenny? I can hear you. Great. Okay. okay. Just want to make sure. Um, but, uh, that's, that's, I mean, obviously we got a lot of, car, you know, we have car accidents and stuff, but, uh, that's something that, you know, the technology that's in, in that world right now is, is, is the airbags and, and the air curtains and, and seatbelts is amazing. What we can come up into an accident scene and, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen engines laying out in the middle of the road and the, the person that was in that car, once we got the doors off the car, we cut the doors off the car and whatever we need to get off so we can get them out. They, they get transported with minor injuries and they go home that night. And you, you'd think that 
you, you I mean that nobody's going home, but it's amazing what the technology of the cars nowadays is impressive. So <laughs> what's the off-road industry like there for recreational use? Here? Yeah. Um, you know, we have they allow riding the razors on the road. So you can ride your side by sides on the road. I can I can drive my side by side to work every day if I wanted to. I'd driven my side by side to fire calls. You know, I I've been in full gear at the shop, done riding, and I'll get a page, Mike, because I got my pages come in on my phone too. And I there's been numerous times there's motocross boots sitting in front of my locker. I'm at a fire call at the station. Cause I'll come, I'll come down there in full moto gear, take obviously have the helmet off, but run into that fire station, pull motor boots off, pull your gear on and get in a truck and go fight a fire, go to a car accident or go to a medical. I've done that numerous times. Wow. So, but, but as far as the off-roading industry in the recreational, is there a lot of ATV riding there or is it mostly UTVs? mainly UTVs. I mean, we do have an off-road park that they originally started with our club. They turned it into uh, um, public. You know, at first it was just for members, um, but now they, they open it up to public. So it's a small park. I think it's only 40 acres. And that does really, really well. They do a bunch of maintenance stuff out there. And there's some trails out there and stuff like that. I know they, you know, they have a shelter and stuff out there so people can can't you know they can camp and have picnics and hang out and stuff like that so um but yeah it's the off-road stuff here is you know mainly that if you want to do some serious riding in minnesota it's you you need to go at least an hour to an hour and a half north there's some really really good trails like when we get in the forest area because everything out here by me is all farmland you get up in northern minnesota there's that's where the really good stuff is ton of trails and we, that's something we enjoy um so we do we go up north quite a bit and run the four-wheelers and the side-by-sides so that's awesome that's awesome have you raced a side-by-side yet yeah i mean well i originally for when i was racing for polaris i ran you know the gnccs for them um i did i did some short course stuff around here in minnesota and then uh I did a little short course summer this summer with my car that was mainly built for the GNCCs. I just kept it and I went and ran some short course, put some Hoosiers on it and went and had some fun. So that's so cool. Same (laughs) car, same car. I drive to the fire calls. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's pretty awesome. Daryl, I want to thank you so much. I know how busy you are and I know that taking the time late in the evening to to sit down and talk with me is, is sometimes not exactly what you want to do with your evenings, but um, I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for your service to your community. I mean, I don't think that they realize the man that they have uh, working for them. I appreciate that, Lenny. Um, it's, it's something I, if I didn't enjoy, it, I wouldn't do it because it ain't about the money. It's, I mean, the brotherhood, you know, the, that we have there, the, the, the camaraderie and stuff with the other firefighters. I mean, we got to trust each other. And I, I, that's something truly special that I don't, I can't explain to anybody unless you're there and been there and done that. 
I mean, because, you know, there's so many situations where if something went wrong, if you couldn't trust your partner or your partner made a bad choice, that maybe one of you or both of you aren't going home. And that's something you really got to have faith in your training and the guys that are with you. I mean, it's, I'm not saying every call is like that, but there's situations that where I've, I've seen it numerous times where if someone made bad choices, you know, we're going to hurt somebody. You know what I mean? And luckily on our department, our injury list has been very, very small. We got a great chief and great, great officers and um, great training. We train our asses off. I mean, a lot of these departments around here don't train like we do. We, and, and there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I, I consider ourselves lucky that we, that we don't rest, that we, we hit it hard. And, you know, that two hours on Monday night, I enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to seven o'clock to nine o'clock on Monday night. That's what we do. So that I, I like the fact that, that, that you train so hard for that, because it means when you go in that person's house or you show up at that car accident, or you come to put the fire out in my house, that just means you guys are just better prepared. Yeah. I mean, in, as far as the shop involvement, I mean, that's something I, I, I interviewed with the, the station because it's, it's a job. They interview just like a job. And I remember sitting there and I said, here's the deal, guys. I said, if you guys don't hire me, I get it. You know, because I think there was like eight other guys and they only had three positions. And uh, I said, but here's the deal. I'll open the invitation. If there's something you need fabbed or fixed or, you know, manufactured for the department, I said, I said, I offer my shop. I'd love to love to be able to do some work for you guys. Cause I, again, I believed in them. I believed in what they did. Um, since then, since I got hired and stuff, I do a lot of work for them. And actually that's Tucker Tucker's part of it. But I started another small company where we're make, we're building and selling the, some of the stuff I built for our department. Then I sell to other departments now. Um, Key thing is the organization in these trucks. When we get there, we have to be able to find things, and we have to they have to be where they we look for them. We can't we can't waste time with the truck looking for an axe or or a tool or whatever that is. We can't waste time. Everything has to be so organized, and that's a lot of what we're doing for them. It's building organization side of things. So these trucks, you open up the big side doors, and everything's right there. It's got its place. It all makes sense. It all it's all laid out together. So if we go to a car accident, you open up the one side of the the one door in the truck, and it's you got all your people call it jaws of life. You know, we got our hearse tools, so we can take the doors. You got your windshield kits. Everything's there, all laid out, simple and easy, and we go to work. So that's it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive, sir. Uh, I really appreciate what you do. Um, I think you can tell that it it intrigues me greatly um, because when you're selfless, um, it puts you on a whole lev different level than most of humanity. Um, there's way too much selfishness in this world, and and for you to give of yourself to make your community better, that's that's a really really big thing and very admirable. And I want to say thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you again. I'm going to uh, let you go for the evening. Thanks again, brother. Thanks. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by...
by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.